Welcome on board the Leadership of Fools. We're about to hoist the mainsails. We've got some business dilemmas to discuss. I'm excited. Ahoy! On today's episode, we start with a dilemma. How does an organisation truly become customer-centric? Our conversation covers a pragmatic and effective three-step process to building customer centricity, the power in knowing who your customer really is, not just a broad catch-all comment, the simplicity of making a promise and delivering on that promise, the discipline required to align your organisation from the outside in, and what will your organisation be famous for? Today's guests, Nat Fian and Kate Temby. Kate was a recent contestant on Australian Survivor and a very experienced global executive in finance. Nat brings a wealth of experience in marketing, branding, and customer experience. My name is Amanda Buckley, and I'm very excited to be at the helm today, setting sail on what is outside particularly choppy waters, but Mm. here I'm hoping a smooth voyage, and I I feel confident about that because, as always, I'm joined by my first mate, um, chief navigator, and um, basically iceberg yelling man, lets us know when there's things up ahead we need to look out for, Colin Beattie. Hello, Colin. Iceberg. Berg Yelling Man. I love it. That's fantastic. That's the technical name. Yeah, that's I've right. seen Titanic. Someone yelled iceberg. Thanks, Amanda. It's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to kick off today. I, I feel like um, no, no need to muck around. We know what we're here for. Um, I'm joined by two, well, we are joined by two amazing guests today. I'll keep them secret for just a little bit. Yes. Um, but let's start off. Um, I'm going to pose a bit of a question of... Uh, there's many skills that I do not possess and many skills I would like to master. But Colin, any skills that you wish you had mastered or are in the process of mastering? Um, backing a trailer. Yep. So um, my dad taught me how to back a trailer when I was about 20. And um, in fact, he was backing a caravan into a fairly narrow driveway and this is how he taught me. He said uh, he got in the car, he backed the, backed the caravan in, did it perfectly, and he said, that's how you do it, son. <laughs> and to this day, he has no idea that I have no idea. And um, It's really hard. It's hard. Yeah. Thank you. I actually feel better now because I, I think by this age that I should be able to do it, but N- I can't. Not at all. It's That is a massive skill. I've seen people do it and um, I've tried to do it once for a friend and I believe the phrase is jackknifing. Is jackknifing, that's yeah. right. And therefore, if we think about launching the leadership, uh, I'm probably not the guy to do that. Speaking of passengers, we have Nat Fian and Kate Temby with us today who are going to uh, – Be safe. You're going to be safe. Safety first. Um, But speaking of skills, the same question. I'll start with you, Nat. A skill that you wish you had mastered? I've always wanted to fly, but I think that would be particularly difficult. I used to practice when I was young jumping off the couch, but surprisingly (laughs) I never was successful at flying. Um, Second to that, I'd love... Can I just clarify something just here? Just are we talking about... You flying or flying no, a me, plane? No, me yeah. flying. Right. Yes, I used to get up Fantastic. every morning quite early and jump off the arm of the couch. So bird-like. Bird-like and just sort of <laughs> face plant into the couch but thinking that if I flapped my arms, you know, hard enough that maybe I would be able to fly. Oh. But that never worked out for me surprisingly. And in the, like, 
pre-mobile phones everywhere phase, there would have been today footage of that amazing <laughs> attempt. <laughs> like, yeah. Very thankful that there's not. But I did quickly realise that perhaps I wasn't destined to fly. But the other skill, I think the thing I'd love to master if I had a lot of time is I'd love to be a magician. Mm. I think all of the elements required to do really great mm. magic and understanding and following your audience to be able to sort of trick them yeah. would be an amazing skill to have. My, my therapist is a magician. That's an interesting It is an interesting A magician or an illusionist? Uh, magician. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and, and do you think there are some connections there, I potentially? I haven't made sense of it just yet. Your but, therapist? Uh, Myotherapist. Like Myotherapist. I thought you so said my therapist. I did too <laughs> and I was like, this is great. And it's thought, all about reading body okay, language. Yeah. Maybe you should be seeing a new therapist. No, but that's right. Oh, they're really good. That Colin just says magician. <laughs> yes. You are so good. Yeah, no, I haven't made the connections but um, uh, yeah, I, might, I might get him to give you some tips. That'd be great. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Oh, connections already. This is wonderful. Um, and Kate, over to you. Same question. Um, and I believe that there's many skills you've mastered, but are there any skills you wish? Oh, plenty. <clears throat> uh, really singing yeah. would be my one skill. I would just love to be able to have a magical voice that could enhance people. And I believe that everyone can sing personally um, mm. and I can hear your speaking voice and I think you can sing. Oh, thank you. So did you want to give it a go? <laughs> uh, maybe on another episode. We did you say know? that everyone would be safe here so I don't <laughs> want you to be uncomfortable. <laughs> but singing I think is a beautiful art and I think it's probably moving away from that preconceived idea that you need to be born with a great voice and in fact it's something that you can train. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you've given me the... Do it. Focus. Do it. I didn't start – I'm a singer and I didn't start singing until I was 26 because mm. Miss Tooth, and I will name names because she shamed me, so I shall shame her, told um, – said to me in front of the entire school in a concert, Amanda Buckley, just mouth the words, you're flat. Wow. <laughs> and that was when I was about 15 and I didn't sing again, but I knew – I loved it so much. I knew it was yeah. something that I should do. So and you lost momentum with that comment? Completely. And then when did you rediscover it? Um, I started improv classes and at the same time I was like, I need to be bold and brave and take a chance. And I also got drunk and um, found a... a, a on karaoke a, bar? Yeah, karaoke bar. But I oh, know um, an ad for teachers and I was like, oh, I'm going to do teaching. <laughs> this was all at a um, proper place to be drunk at, not just yeah. in the middle of the day, right. I promise. Um and I was really bold and I, I just thought, yep, in the morning I'm going to ring that number and I did and I went along. But it took me forever, like the, at least the first month I had to face the corner when I sang in front, when, when I was learning um, because I was too nervous and I felt too exposed because of um, being told before that I couldn't Fantastic. do it. So I, I faced the corner the, like for a month every time I'd have this lesson with him. And then um, it's actually what I do now. I so. find it amazing how powerful words are in that one sentence that that teacher spoke to you once. Mm. Oh. Years and years of you changing everything you did and everything you were passionate about. And, and I think of that often when I say things to my son or when I that say things... That person in authority that yeah. just But unfortunate, those, fortunately those words often aren't from the parent. Yes, yes. it's a, someone with it external... Very external and actually not really connected to you. Yeah. So it's having the grounding of the positive words for someone who probably isn't your parents to say you can sing, to yeah. counter it, 
you just don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah. That's a great st- – well. And Amanda is a wonderful singer and lyricist. <laughs> is that the right term? You're very complimentary, Colin, and I adore you for that. (laughs) Um, Yes, show promotion to follow. Um, What does it take to ensure your organisation is truly customer-centric? 2018 we are now and uh, I feel like uh, a lot of organisations are in catch-up mode about this idea of meeting the customer need, truly meeting the customer need. And I suspect it's because a lot of these organisations we see as disruptive organisations have uh, bypassed the middle person and just gone straight to really understanding the customer intimately and really uh, meeting that particular need in a way that uh, a lot of organisations could only have dreamed of. I think it's a massive, dilemma's not the right word, but a massive topic for boards and executive teams right now. And I suspect it's not as quite as easy as it sounds. Kate? Well, I think it's at the centre of most businesses. Yep. And when we say customer, often in particular industries, you know, our mind goes down that tunnel, it's a retail customer or it's a X, Y and Z. But in fact, I just think it's pervasive across so many businesses. And I think the first point of call is actually who is your customer? Yeah, Yeah, that's Many businesses have forgotten actually who is the customer and once you define that, then your other questions can follow. And I see it as a three-step process. First of all is who is your customer and you're aspiring to be a trusted advisor with that. That's the relationship you want. And then asking, what do you want to be known for with that customer? Because we all think it's delivering service, or but perhaps it's not. Perhaps it's a brand or perhaps it's building a relationship or it's trust. So defining that and then it allows you to say, well, if you've defined what you want to be known for, then you need to deliver it consistently. Yeah, and I guess it's which way round do those go? Do those go as well? So, mm-hmm. are you an organisation that's defined a purpose, and then you're looking to see who are the customers that are going to help you achieve that purpose, versus who is your customer? But defining the customer, I think, is so hard for so many organisations. So hard. They like, find it. Or I, I just see organisations as well who ultimately don't like to define their customer because they want to keep it broad enough <laughs> to not miss out on anybody. Yes, you're and all they're kind our of customers. missing the purpose of saying, well, how do you define your customer? And then it's, it becomes a catch-all and then you're trying to understand this huge demographic profile of people and trying to find what makes them tick mm-hmm. and it's a very hard thing to do. So we're trying to be all things to all people. I think a lot of organisations are, yes. And then I also experienced the... I don't know what it is, but this sense of confusion where people start talking about the difference between what about an employee experience? What about a user experience? What about a paying customer experience? And there's a little part, and I'm kind of intrigued about this, do we need to define that? Because in some respects I see that as almost a delaying tactic, you know, this sense that the organisation starts to go, well, we can't work it out, so... Well, the question is, is it stakeholder delivery, which is the broader... I think your employees, your service providers, you know, your customers or your customer to me, and this is why it's a difficult thing to define, is who you're delivering your service to. The stakeholders enable that. But 
Similarly, you might say your customer is your employee and then your answers will be different. So I think the point is it needs to be defined. And who is your primary customer? And at the end of the day, for the majority of businesses, if you don't have a customer defined by the person who is buying your product or service, you are not going to have a business for those employees to work in. So you want to make sure that your product or service is is created uh, to create a market. You said there's three steps so the third, so the first step, as we said, is defining the customer. Yep. I would expect that the stakeholders are different from a customer for exactly what Nat said. The business yes, is only certainly. there if you've got a customer buying a service. Yes. Once you've defined the customer quite specifically, then it's what do you want to be known for to build the relationship of a trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. You might want to be known for excellent service delivery. You might want to be known for innovative thinking. What Ever it is a product, product that yep. works. Yep. Second question is how are we going to deliver that consistently? Yes. And I think this gets into the value piece around is it excellence? You know, what what you know, you've you've said what do you want to be known for? You know, product the- that works well, excellence in thinking. Yep. Well, how do we deliver that in yep. our second question? How do you deliver that consistently? And the third one is what opportunities can we then leverage? Yes. It's sort of, and I find those three questions, delivering consistency allows you, let's just get it right first yes. and then delineate with the opportunities, the upside. Yep. Because I think as Nat was pointing out, we want to be everything to all people. We don't want to miss out on everything, but actually you forget the core branding is never achieved. Yeah. That's right. It's the experience that you want to create. And we've started changing some of our terminology um, at organisations I've worked in away from brand to experience because it's the experience that you want your customers to have through every interaction with completely that's that's I certainly hear that all the time when we're doing um, corporate work there are so many buzzwords around customer centricity at the moment and it's become this hot topic but tell me a moment in time really where it wasn't about the customer I mean not many people have had successful businesses that weren't around the customer (laughs) but we're hearing it more and more and especially these buzzwords and and even with technology I think what technology has enabled us to do is deliver personalised experiences and our customers expect you to know them and to be able to deliver what you need. And so customer has become another word and customer centricity has become become another really important word that people want to understand in business because they realise how important it is. But it's the technology that's enabling us to deliver those experiences en masse and really know people. Matt, you are so spot on. So... <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. If we if we created an organisation at any point in time that didn't meet the customer needs, we would not have that business for very long. Uh, so there's some things that have probably happened over the last ten years, twenty years, maybe even thirty years. Um, one thing is, I think uh, organisations, and maybe because they've made lots of money at some point in time, they've become insular, they've become uh, political, they've become complicated, and they've you actually find people spending more time with each other, you know, within the organisation rather yep. than the actual customer so, itself. Yeah. And I, that point is so valid. If yeah. you are not clear around what you want to be famous for yes. and deliver it, yeah. delivering it consistently, yep. you can then not articulate to the people, your staff, yeah. uh, who are going to deliver that. Yes. And I think that is the thread I'd pick up on organisations become inward looking rather inward, than outward looking. Yep. So from a leadership perspective, the aim is to be clear yep. about roles and responsibilities, to be clear around what we're delivering, what why we want to be famous yes. 
and then people understand the importance of where they sit in that chain. Yes. Otherwise, A, it's not efficient, but B, they don't understand why you push for excellence, for example, because they see that as, well, that's just time-consuming, that isn't really what I'm about. Well, actually, we defined for the customer that that was what was one of our important values. Yeah. Makes sense. I think the other thing, and Nat, you alluded to this, the, uh, I was about to say sophistication, but I don't think it necessarily needs to be the, that word. It's the user experience we are used to uh, being able to access certain information when we want it, 24-7 in the way we want it and in a way that talks to us. Uh, so if you're not delivering on that, you are about to get disrupted, for want of a better term. You're about to find someone in a garage somewhere actually about to undermine you if you're not able to meet that need. Yeah, and customers are expecting that of the brands and organisations that they buy from, that you expect a brand to understand you and know you. And that's why people get so frustrated if they're served an ad, for example, on their mobile phone that's got no relevance to them. It's infuriating and all of a sudden that creates a negative association with that brand. So it's so important for businesses and organisations to understand not only their customer and to define that, but again, to be thinking about the experience that they're creating for a broader audience, including those customers, to get them on side and build loyalty. I'm slightly terrified by the fact that Colin has suggested there are people just sitting in garages (laughs) waiting to jump out and get us. That's what I took from that. That's right. They are. They're in coffee shops. They're in garages. They're talking because they're actually sitting there and saying, we, um, and I'm going to go back to your comment, Kate, while an organisation is looking inwards, we are looking outwards. We are actually looking at not only the needs that exist, but the emerging needs that customers and consumers don't even know about. And Colin, I think that's such an important point because businesses can spend so much time analysing data and looking at their inter- internally at trying to profile their customer and, and to what you said, Kate, defining your customer is so important. But using all of that data and trying to define what they need versus if you look at an Apple model, for example, where you innovate and then create the need. And I think that's where organisations as well are in a little bit of a dilemma Mm. and and you can get yourself in knots internally is trying to identify what are your customers telling you they need versus what can you innovate that they will need if you present it to them. And then also positioning why you're different because when you're internally focusing internally you are in the detail and you know why you're great but you are not thinking about your business in the eyes of the customer who has the noise going on of the whole world you know where my head went then is it's are we in an era now where we can no longer meet the needs of the masses that it's always going to be the, the person, the community, the group, the organisation that captures the niche, is that...? The mass is pretty demanding as well. <laughs> like, they want a lot. The one, well, well, again, for me, it's... Again, maybe it's circling back to this idea for you, Nat, that says uh, there's something uh, about organisations when asked that question, what's the uniqueness, what are we famous for? We're famous for everything. Yeah, and I think that you'd have to be very careful as an organisation to be to not have a purpose that you couldn't use um, holistically across your whole customer base. So you need to be really clear about your purpose. I think the way that you then market that potentially to different groups might differ, but you've got to stay true to that cause 
And I think as people are more interested in the brands that they associate with, they're also looking for the consistency of that brand. So I think um, if you're a business that is trying to be everything to different people, everything to all people, you can do yourself an injustice because if they're not feeling that transparency or or feeling that I saw that organisation acting in that way over there and now I'm experiencing this, then they don't have any clarity and they're not going to have an association because they don't know what the brand wants to be famous for or what that business actually really does. And and that's where organisations today are being over-complex in trying to define their purpose. I think they're trying to meet the needs of too many different groups and it's about stripping it back and going for it. But I think you raise a really good point is who is our customer? What do we want to be famous for? the connection with what you want to be famous for is in line with the corporate values. And this is where a few different industries are being tripped up now. In fact, that they were going ahead and doing certain behaviours within the finance sector, let's say, uh, and now the customer said, but wait a minute, as an organisation, you said you were defined by ethics, good value, but me as a customer, I my experience is not consistent with that. So by really saying what do you want to deliver consistently, that is that overlap around corporate values and the customer experience. Absolutely. And if you're a, a leader within a business and you've got a company purpose, then your positioning statement externally is built off that purpose. And that is stating what you want to be famous for and what you promise to deliver. And if you don't then make business decisions that adhere to that statement and that purpose... There's, you know, it's completely transparent now. Consumers just, they will not consumers buy it. Consumers, it's transparent, they're, they're savvy, they're switched on. They will uh, rule you out quickly the moment you compromise on what you promise. And you look at a bank, right? At the end of the day, a bank is going to be about making money and delivering value to shareholders, right? So my question would be, should they shy away from stating that? <laughs> You'll get tripped up if you don't. I mean, that's what the Royal Commission is, you know, we've seen the evolution of that and we'll see where that lands. So we're asking for genuine transparency and authenticity. Mm. So if, if as a CEO, I make the primary reason I make a decision is what's good for the shareholder, I need to actually articulate that. That's right. And then, or at least then in the way that you present things, it might not be that you're going to market, we deliver value to shareholders because you also offer a huge range of other things that deliver customer value. Mm. But at the same time, you don't hide the fact that really no. at the end of the day, no. you're there to deliver value to shareholders. If, um, if product-wise though as well, I mean, there's so many big companies out there that people, you know, you see it on Facebook all the time, someone will pop something out there and say, you need to know this about this company and this product. Mm-hmm. But we're so... I, I guess we're so convenienced these days as well that even though sometimes, you know, it does scream boycott, 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 we don't. I, I find that there, there, there's sometimes there's a little bit of a drop-off but ultimately I, when it's really product-based, I think, and there's a few big ones that, um, you know, because of their design or, you know, the, the controversy with Apple and their products every time they update mm-hmm. and the things that don't, um, you know, the frustration, you see it everywhere. People just frustrated that one of their products had to be upgraded and now nothing else works with it and they have to get all the new products and upgrade everything else. And it seems to be, you know, a money-making business. Um, 
But people will still go out and go, yeah, but I'm really loyal to Apple. But I don't think it's because of the loyalty. It's because of the value that the customer is getting from the product outweighs whatever it is, negative sentiment that they feel about the customer. Yeah, so if the product product is good enough. Yeah. Working in that way. But I think there is a generational shift. And this is going to take time that ethical clothing, for example, is not. It was small scale probably in the 70s. Yes, yes, but it certainly <laughs> At a market, is growing. But it's large scale. The fact that we've got this transparency via the internet around manufacturing in Bangladesh, you know, the, the, there's whole industries that are being created. So I think it's slow moving. There's a certain amount of tolerance, but if people have got two options yeah. and perhaps with Apple we don't have two options, so our tolerance, as Nat said, weighs to, well, it's integrated in my life. Uh, but I think the movement, both from the customer but also the regulator. Yeah. For example, Apple, the inbuilt redundancy in the product, that is getting regulator uh, attention. Is it yes. enough? I'm not sure. But you push those two things together over time, I think people are requiring yeah, great. corporations to step up. Yes. Yeah, and when they can have choice and they're in a position to have choice because I think there's still mass markets that are going to be driven by price, for example, where, yeah. it, mm-hmm. you know, I think what's interesting at the moment is that social shift is where people have the means to be able to choose based on a um, higher level, so to speak, of ability to be able to purchase goods that's more aligned to their values yeah. rather than a need as basic shelter or clothing yes. or food. Yes. But it's price-driven. And the yes. bigger question is the role of the government and regulators in this. Um, you know, if we think about combating climate change, if we think about combating health, the fact if we look back, would have we ever thought there would be such high tax on smoking? Yeah, to me, that's a great example. I'm not sure why we haven't got it on gambling, but we'll just move that aside. But the government has played a role in actually directing our choices. Um, so I, I hope this momentum continues. Yeah. I mean, I know certainly something like palm oil did have an impact, like people products acknowledged mm-hmm. that they were using palm oil from... Um, rainforests yep. and that it was having an impact and people actually did and that, that was great because the zoos got involved in that and they so every time you went to the zoo um, I know that the children in our family were really like right well we need to we need They're to pay educated. attention to palm yep. oil yep. so that was a that was a positive change that was great and, and companies did start saying all right we'll either make sure it's um, ethical palm oil or we won't use palm oil so mm-hmm. they did start to look to that so yeah I get that that there's I think you know, some of the big brands came around for mm-hmm. that, yeah. And I think the market's holding people to account. Yes. You know, I work in um, impact investing where corporations are raising finance through bonds that are particularly focused on environmental and social change. And no longer can you just say it's a green bond, it's fine. You know, you know, there is detailed tracking that we do and the market is requiring that people are doing what they say. Yes, so which is the fantastic. bond is actually invested, the money's invested in those projects and the return of that money is also not used for the mainstream. It is reinvested. But maybe, this is, maybe this is the simplicity of it all because, like, at one level, this is fantastic, this conversation. It's quite societal and we're talking, you know, even talking about uh, green bonds and environmental bonds. The simplicity is you make a promise and deliver on your promise. Okay. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> make a promise, deliver on your promise. Uh, and if you can't deliver on that promise, don't make that promise. Yeah, yeah. and customer, trans- customer centricity is who are you making that promise to. Yes. So you're going to define your audience or define customer, then you're going to make a promise and deliver on the promise. 
So I I wonder in the next sort of part of this conversation, it maybe it is demystifying all of this. Maybe it is cutting it to its core. Maybe it's finding finding the simplicity, because no organisation existed without a customer. Not well, not that I know about anyway. Um, that's that's how commerce started, <laughs> you know, hundreds, thousands of years ago. Um, something has gone wrong <laughs> where we've lost sight of this. And I think that is the art of it. And I think it's at two levels, as Nat pointed out. It's at a board level to clearly articulate it. But the proof of the pudding is what happens in executing that at yes. the operational level. And this is where it becomes complex, where it's in the pocket of leadership around how do you structure teams, how do you articulate goals, how do you get people doing stuff to achieve that, oh, by the way, we made this promise to our customer. That's where it gets murky because your remuneration objectives are not consistent with that, your job specs are not consistent with that, your delivery IT doesn't enable you to be consistent with all of these promises and that is the difficult bit and why I think we've got into this state that we're in. There's so many data points, right? So if I, if you look back on t- back in time, and to your point, Colin, a successful business was all about the relationship and understanding your customer. So, for example, if you're a butcher, mm-hmm. you would know that the people who came into your shop, I'd know that you were Colin, your kids liked these specific foods, your budget was roughly X, and I'd be able to recommend that you buy this food. Absolutely. And so it was very, very personalised. Laid steak all the way. <laughs> Wagyu. <you? laughs> we then move into an era where the consumers change. So their desire is they want to experience something that they know that everybody else is experiencing, where we saw big brands and franchises emerge, right? Mm-hmm. So then we see the customer want and need is to know that you're getting the same hamburger not from the local store, mm-hmm. but from the McDonald's that you know services the whole world and you can have that same. And so I think in that world, organisations to that point, they were able to dictate, this is the brand, this is the product that we're going to push out to the customers. Yes. Yeah. And so they were able to clearly define our customers. Then you have both a societal shift where people are looking for brands to deal with that are more values aligned you also at the same time have a shift where through technology you have all of these different data points about these sub-customer groups. You've got employees, you've got shareholders, you've got more groups internally who you have to have who you have to manage and who are inputting into helping you define that customer base. But it becomes overwhelming for people. I think this is where organisations are struggling now is that they're all of a sudden they're, they're overwhelmed with data from different parts of the organisation. They're overwhelmed with their own understanding of are they trying to satisfy shareholders, employees? Is it the digital department? Is it the product department? Who do they listen to? Who do they prioritise <laughs> first? And then there's all of these information and then they end up just in this sort of and hurricane ca- of information and not really servicing anyone and not able to make decisions based on the customer because they're trying to narrow it down. And, and Kate's point about much. the legacy that of uh, the legacy of reward systems, that of IT systems, uh, and other mechanisms that were measuring the wrong things, um, and fundamentally driving behaviour. And so, if we cut to the chase, um, and maybe this is the takeaway yeah, moment, Amanda. Um, if we cut to the chase, uh, I spend most of my career working with organisations in states of change, transformation, the questions of things like changing culture. And we want to change our culture to be customer-centric. It is as simple as, uh, and I'll go back to what you're saying to us, Kate, 
Let's define it. Let's define what the customer, who the customer is, define what we want to be famous for, make a promise and deliver on that promise and then eliminate anything that interferes with that. Uh, so you hear the technical terms like pain Kate, points. Kate is smiling really yeah, that's right. big smiles That's right the now. hard bit though. I'm <laughs> smiling because that requires discipline. That's the discipline. That's the discipline. Uh, but that is this serious piece where we actually say, you know what? Our leaders, our executives talk customer, never spend any time with customer. Our uh, reward mechanisms come from dollars and cents rather than customer experience measures. So let's get serious about this. And I must admit, when you confront that, you see genuine hesitation. Because uh, what I was rewarded for in the past, I yep. may not be rewarded for in the future. Or you have a group of executives who are representing different customer groups. And then you've got a leadership group who are forced to prioritise or make decisions. And uh, someone wins and someone loses. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so as an organisation, who is your priority or primary customer group? And then what does that mean for the organisation? And when you have that in sync, you have an organisation that's humming. Yes. And truly is customer-centric. If yes. it's not in sync, you have people saying but I can't process this. I'm hearing one thing and I'm being directed on yep. one, I'm being incentivised or directed on another thing. And that's confusing for people. Absolutely. People just want clarity. They yeah. want clarity. And clarity of message, consistency of message, and that's whether you're an employee or whether you're a consumer or even an executive, you kind of want to know what you're rewarded for. Um, this, this makes sense. And I wonder whether the answer is fundamentally a simple answer, but the hard part is actually confronting the question that are we really serious? Are we really serious about this? I think the other takeaway, given you know, our audience are aspiring leaders, yes. how can they influence that? Oh. When they're hearing from the board, they're hearing from their management, and often our audience who we're speaking to are working at developing their careers through that. Yes. And my recommendation would be highlight those differences to your manager. The inconsistencies. The inconsistencies. Because often it's done from the top and when it gets down to the nuts and bolts of doing it, to highlight, well, my remuneration isn't consistent with the what we want to be famous for or highlighting why IT doesn't enable me to deliver on time, etc. Yes. That it will help leadership then take away some of those barriers and work through it. I think it's a very exciting time for me as a customer that uh, everyone's going to be working towards my needs right now. It's Absolutely. very exciting. No, it is. It is, and it's the way it should actually be. Um, Nat, I'm going to ask you your takeaway, um, but one thing I just wanted to mention, I'm working with an organisation right at the moment and we are working on uh, cultural change, transformation, and we've, whether it's the hashtag or it's the summary, we've actually named the whole initiative Outside In, and it's fundamental mm. to the, f the most transformational part of this change. We've looked at our organisation, and I say we, uh, this organisation has looked at it from the inside out, and that's where you get lost. And the moment you start looking at your organisation from the outside mm. in, you see a very different picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nat, what would you take away? I think my takeaway is, it goes back to the three steps, right? So number one, yes. who is your customer? articulate them to me in a sentence and then tell me what you promised to deliver them and then deliver it. Great. Our customer, sorry, I can't help with this, Kate, you <laughs> alluded to it. Our customer is emerging leaders out there listening to 
this user experience, which is leadership of fools, and we're making a promise. I'm not sure what that promise is, but uh, hopefully we're delivering safety. on it. I promise safety, safety podcast. I promise safety. That's still my promise. Thank that you. is still my promise. <laughs> I'm feeling safe. Yeah, good. <laughs> After re-listening to today's episode, we've renamed it. Tell me a moment in time when it wasn't about the customer. Uh, once you've had the clarity required to name who your customer is, then there are three clear mentoring hits. Number one, what do you want to be known for, famous for? Number two, deliver on that promise and deliver it consistently, removing any barriers to achieving this, e.g. systems, measurement, uh, policy. Number three, leverage those opportunities. This is where you can shape the market, change the game, and reap the rewards. The Leadership of Fools has wind in the sails and we're always looking to expand the fleet. So if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please jump onto iTunes and subscribe. You can like, you can rate. And when you do, you're going to get all the up-to-date episodes as they drop. That's right, we drop them.